Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. Join me for the next half an hour as we go online and find out not just where you've been, but who's been watching and what data has been collected about you. We promise you some balance rather than some bias and your chance to discover just how the big data might lead to some big debt if you're not careful on today's Active Intelligence. On today's episode, I caught up with Paul Spain. He's a technology guru from Guerrilla Technology to find out exactly who's watching us when we're online and what kind of data they're collecting about us. And more importantly, what are they doing with that data? How might they use that against us? How are they building a profile of not just the kind of things we do, but the person that we might be and our vulnerabilities? But first, we go to England, where a man named James lost £80,000 in online gambling, and he was convinced that the websites were targeting him and so he put in an official information request to find out what data was being collected and the results are scary. An investigation has revealed gambling firms are using data harvesting services to target problem gamblers. An addict known as James, who lost more than £80,000, submitted a data subject access request to Skybet and three data collection companies. The responses showed one company held almost 19,000 items of data, tracking every click and scroll of his interaction with Skybet. One of the companies had categorised James as a high-value customer who chases his losses. The Christian Institute's head of research, Dave Greaterex, said there have been far too many of these examples of problem gamblers spending vast sums of money on gambling sites, including tragic cases of those who have been enticed to spend more through VIP schemes. The outcome of the government's gambling review must include strong regulation of betting firms. Skybet told us it uses a number of third-party data providers to support in areas such as fraud detection, age and identification verification, and as part of its marketing activities. In this case, the data came from several other companies and includes information that Skybetting and gaming does not have access to. The lawyer who helped James access his files says we need to understand what information we give away. Gambling companies do not operate in a silo of data. They operate in this wider ecosystem where there's data flowing in at different times and in different ways. And the concern for our clients is that data is being used for behavioural surveillance, understanding what you are doing, who you are, what you like. The price of the free and open web we have today is paid in privacy. And it's not just about big tech. Companies many of us know very little about have built exceptionally detailed profiles on you, me and everybody. And we often sign up for this when we consent to online terms and conditions. So James found that he was most certainly being targeted by the gambling websites. A little did I know that artificial intelligence was so sophisticated that it could build a profile of you and I to work out where our vulnerabilities were as people and that we might in fact be the kind of people who might gamble at all and lose it all. And then, of course, without any uh, conscience at all, and try and exploit that weakness in the human being. Well, that weakness, of course, is part of the way in which the brain responds to these environments that are so addictive. So let's take a look at an experiment that teaches us just how powerful these addictive forces are. We arranged for gambler, Tony Franklin, to join a unique experiment by one of the world's leading experts on addiction, Professor David Nutt. Gambling addiction is not a failure of will. 
it is a brain disorder which is preyed upon by the gambling industry. Honestly, I can feel my heartbeat <laughs> just rising, <laughs> just looking at the damn thing. Once you become addicted, it's very, very hard to stop because you have turned, you've changed your brain. Addiction is a, it is a brain that has changed to become entrained to the desires of the, of, of the gambling. So we're going to start the roulette task, Tony. This will be the first time anyone plays something similar to a fixed odds betting terminal from inside an MRI scanner. The professor says it will reveal what's happening in Tony's brain as he uses a keypad to bet. Can I spend it all on the first spin? When Tony is doing his task, when he's looking at the roulette wheel and he's making a decision to bet, parts of the brain get turned on and then they can't stop. And we think there's probably a chemical basis to that. So that's what we're expecting to see, that the habit centers are overactivated in people with gambling compared with normal people like us. The human brain is a pretty simple organ at one level. Anything that gets repeated gets automated. And of course, when the thing that gets repeated is this exciting experience of placing a bet, of winning, suddenly addiction grabs a hold of the human being. And yeah, sure, they still have their free will, but their free will is under a kind of pressure they might not have experienced before. And they might not be very good at exercising impulse control. And so once addiction becomes a reality, boy, uh, it could be that you might lose it all. And that's exactly, of course, what happened for poor James. Well, let's find out exactly what uh, the big data is. What's being collected? How's it being used for us? And how's it being used against us? I caught up with technology guru from Guerrilla Technology, Paul Spain. My pleasure, Aaron. Great to see you. Well, many of us are feeling afraid now when we go online that Big Brother really is watching in the background, collecting information about me, knowing where I go, but knowing stuff about me that I don't remember telling the computer or telling Google or Apple or whoever it is uh, about me. And yet they seem to know so much. How come the computer people seem to know more about me than my wife? Well, it's sort of the nature of the technology that we've adopted in recent years. So if, if you just think of Google as an example, so many of us are using Google Maps on a sometimes on a constant uh, basis, but if we're using an Android phone, then our phone is keeping our location for scenarios such as we've lost our phone, um, we want to get accurate search results. There's all sorts of reasons why... Um, the phone might capture the location. Maybe we're driving somewhere using Google Maps. Well, um, the way Google knows what's happening in terms of to tell us that there's a traffic jam, um, it gets that by collecting data back from everybody that's on the road and suddenly it notices you know, people are grinding to a halt and stopping and so on. So, you know, this technology is incredibly helpful, but in order to be helpful, there's a there's got to be a flip side to that. And it's the same when we visit various websites and do various searches so that we get quite relevant advertising. Uh, this information's collected. Now, the challenge is where should those lines be drawn and who should have control? And uh, it's, it can be quite a complex question. So, yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting as uh, we have Apple, you know, starting to sort of, you know, tighten things up from a, a privacy perspective. And I guess this has happened over a number of years. You know, they've, they've worked very hard to make that a differentiator. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting journey to see 
what we end up landing on is what's the right level of um, you know of data to be collected about us. Well, I think we can understand that some data is important, uh, location, perhaps the things that we've we've purchased, as you say, might be gathered. It does appear, though, that a profile is being built up about me, that they know not just what I like to buy. I don't mind them knowing how much I like barbecues, but I do wonder how they know my my age and, and, and other kinds of information about me. And in fact, even more subtle information like what kinds of behaviors maybe that I'm prone to, like this British man and the gambling story, where it turned out that the online profile seemed to know know that he was someone vulnerable to taking risks I mean how would it know that kind of stuff about us well you you know you observe someone and you pick up a lot of information now when we when we transfer that data into um, a, a world of technology then we end up with these huge databases and it becomes quite easy to compare one profile against another. And so you know a little bit about what one person searches for and you link that up with a a range of other habits. You know, does the location this person go to include, uh, regularly include uh, a casino or somewhere where gambling's done? Does it include pubs? Does it include, you know, different workplaces? Um, So some of that information can make it really obvious, but it's often the more subtle uh, dots that get joined together where a computer can end up being maybe much smarter than what we might be with that same information because the computer uh, not only has our data, but it might have a million, maybe a billion other people to compare that with. And then with certain information, maybe they've they've shared publicly or certain searches that that individual has done. And so then the, the technology joins up the dots and, and, you know, makes a call. And, you know, we've heard about this being done in the past. I think it was a, a supermarket uh, chain in the US that, uh, that they had enough data to predict that a particular uh, young member of a, of a family um, was, uh, was pregnant based on different, different data. And, uh, you know, the the way I recall it, and I I don't remember all the details, but, you know, the family was shocked that this youngster was being sent this information. But, uh, you know, actually, the the computer joined up the dots correctly and, um, you know, had predicted something the family wasn't aware of. Is one of the challenges here that the computer, in a sense, and the corporation it serves, doesn't really have a soul? In as much as, on the one hand, we understand, you know, putting a product before someone who who likes that product, it's up to them whether they purchase it or not. But in the case of the man uh, in Britain, the gambling sites were targeting him, knowing that he would be likely to bet money that he didn't really have to lose. And indeed, they were willing to destroy this man's life for the sake of profit. What do we do with the fact that the computer and the corporation don't have a soul? Yeah, it probably comes back more to the more to the corporation than the computer, more to the individuals that are involved in the process, and uh, you know, to a, to a degree, what an individual platform allows you to uh, to target. But 
yeah, there are there are a range of uh, mechanisms, but they do come down to people at the at the end of the day. Um, and look, if, if somebody's involved in a business uh, such as gambling, then you know that that um, that type of business where that's where you, how you make your money. You know that um, a portion of those people are going to have their lives, you know, heavily uh, impacted in a negative way because of the, you know because of um, you know their susceptibility to gambling, etc. Um, these are things that people choose to live with, right? Um, you know, I think you know, most of us, if we were to really weigh it up and and certainly if there was zero financial incentive for us and zero uh, sort of special upsides and and so on um, yeah we probably you know and we weren't someone that really you know just enjoys the gambling from the fun perspective and 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 obviously there are um, um, you know, mixes of where people sort of sit in terms of their their um, susceptibility to get addicted. Um, yeah, they, you know, they, they, that's just going to come down to the individual, I suppose. And um, yeah, these these things are just you know are, are likely to happen. And you know, I don't think we're going to see too many um, immediate sort of legal changes. But we certainly have seen you know laws change over the years to do with what is and isn't allowed to be advertised in a conventional sense. And what tends to happen with technology is it moves so quickly that uh, the the legislation maybe doesn't sort of come with it. So, you know, we, we end up with an ability to do something that's um, maybe, you know, far more extreme than, say, the old... Um, uh, cigarette advertising, you know, might have been in terms of targeting people at maybe very specific ages or in very specific ways, and uh, and so on. So, uh, yeah, that that um, doesn't always play out so well. There is that sense, as you're saying, that you dance with the devil. You shouldn't complain about being burnt. But my wondering is, is it possible? that the computer and its algorithms could work out that someone who's never been to a gambling site is actually the kind of person who makes rash, hasty, risk-taking choices, and that someone who never would have danced with the devil finds themselves losing it all because the computer went after them. And there's a sense when you say it like that, that one can't help but wonder about malicious intent. And, and let's go beyond gambling you know, in, in places in the world where uh, drugs are legal. The online drugstore targets risk takers, gets them engaged in drug addiction. Where would this end if the computer can anticipate where my vulnerabilities are? It could literally go after me and my family and destroy us. Yeah, it still come. It still comes back to um, you know people in terms of just determining that that's the approach they're going to take uh, to where the legislation sits, and then ultimately to the individual. Right? I mean, you know, we're all susceptible to to different things, uh, and then we make those we make those judgment uh, calls around you know what we choose to click on, what we choose to spend money on, where we spend to travel, you know, where we choose to travel to. Um, so you know. These things have, yeah, they've always been, uh, um, you know, temp- temptations of available, and each person has to uh, has to be able to make their own calls around those 
those things. So, you know, I, um, yeah, I don't think that the, those challenges in life are going to uh, are going to disappear, um, but technology can make it a lot harder, and, and particularly when we look at you know younger family members, the way in which uh, you know social media can be incredibly manipulative. Um, you know, you you when you delve into those things, uh, yeah, it can be really really sinister, and. Uh, learning to put those barriers in place, learning to uh, decide where we allow technology to be uh, in our lives and how much that we want to give to the technology, uh, I think probably is a, is a journey for, for every family and, and every individual to, uh, to make those, those sort of decisions. You've alluded to the fact that Apple, as a way of distinguishing itself from the competitors, has said now uh, that you have to sort of opt in to give away this information about yourself as a way of kind of protecting yourself. I've noticed there's another company that's actually made it possible to earn money from supplying that information so that you are the person who benefits directly. Are these the right kinds of answers? Will, in a sense, the, uh, the online world regulate itself when enough people become concerned that the information is t- being taken against our will look there's, there's a there's a level of that you know as, as we're seeing here with what Apple are doing um, but you know there's there's never going to be a, probably a perfect a perfect outcome and there are always going to be people that will will get hurt because they're more vulnerable uh, than others, or they're in a difficult circumstance, and so uh, you know they get they get taken advantage of. Um, and yeah, this is I you know I guess just just a reality, um, and and that's you know why it is important for for families to be thinking about these things, for individuals to be considering on what level they want to engage. I was in a meeting today with somebody who's, who said, look, I, I just don't have Facebook and I just don't have those sorts of things um, on my devices. Uh, you know, it, my, my technology is limited to what I need to do work and, um, you know, some entertainment and so on, uh, Netflix type things or, or what have you. Um, and yeah, you you draw those you draw those lines, um, but those are conversations that didn't you know didn't used to be had you know, one or two decades ago. Certainly, uh, you know we were dealing with different challenges with technology then uh, as to as to what we what we are today. Um, you know, some some people would just sort of draw some very rudimentary lines in terms of well, we're going to limit our technology use to. You know these hours, or um, you know within the, these these guidelines. Well, not all technology uses can be bad either. Uh, you know we're we're having a you know, perfectly normal conversation now. It's not that much different from having it in person, uh, but we're using the technology so that we haven't uh, we haven't had to burn a whole lot of time for you know one of us to uh, to, to travel to catch up with the the other one. Um, you know physically in the same location. So you know there there are um, upsides and downsides to to the technology and and how we draw those lines and there's a, there's a fair level of experimentation that's required uh, and these things will keep evolving so you know the picture will look different in five or ten years probably quite dramatically so uh, than what it does today. 
that's one of the big challenges. You've talked about the need for parents to be able to set some parameters, some guidelines for kids. But the reality is the young people are the digital natives. And a lot of us oldies don't really even understand the ins and outs of the online world. So we're not in a great position to know whether we're doing the right things, whether we're doing enough, whether actually our teenager already knows the workaround to this particular boundary that we've put in place. As we finish today, Give us some practical tips. I've heard of things like VPN, where people have a private sort of virtual network to disguise their whereabouts and presumably some of the data about themselves. Uh, we've got these you know, opting in, opting out options for some platforms. What are the basic kind of guardrails here that ordinary people need to make sure they've thought about? Well, the, the first one probably, you know, is outside of the technology directly. It comes down to values. And so, you know, within a family, um, you know, you want to end up landing on a, on a similar page. And, uh, you know, that just comes down to um, the depth of the relationships that you have. And it depends on the, you know, if you've got... Uh, children at different ages uh, some of those conversations are, are easier uh, had than, than others and, and every person's different so um, that would is probably in many ways more more important um, than just about anything else um, then there's you know there's mechanisms in terms of devices and whether you set up particular um, controls in place so uh, for instance with a with an iPad um, which a lot of you know kids now are using for for their schooling um, you can put some mechanisms in place around the times that they get used in terms of what is and, and isn't um, you know open and that might be something you have to work in conjunction with a school uh, so certain things can be can be done so schoolwork can get done um, but yeah, you have to draw draw those uh, um, those those lines and make a call on what what suits in in your own environments. Uh, yeah, avoiding um, the social media you know platforms is is really good, but there comes an age where uh, you know, definitely youngsters uh, you know want to be on board and part of those things. But as you say. Um, there, there are all sorts of workarounds that you know, youngster can go and set themselves up with a free email account. Um, they can change their their age because it's just a number you enter into a screen, a birth date, uh, and get a content you might not other, otherwise um, want. But I think that you know the, the probably the most powerful tools on on any platform. Um, uh, you know, in, a, in addition to establishing those uh, those values and within a within a family, um, you know, really come come down to the parental controls. If you're talking about, uh, you know, people of, of you know different ages, you've got a family environment. Um, for others, there are varying privacy settings that you can set, and uh, you know, those are things to to roll through and have a look. You know, whenever I visit, for instance, a news site like the New Zealand Herald. Um, you know that might pop up and ask your location, and do you really need to give give away your location to get the latest news? Probably not. Uh, but as soon as you you do that, in a lot of cases, it could be an exact GPS location of exact square on the map where you are. Um, and so, yeah, think about those sorts of things. And then the varying apps that you use, uh, Google and and Facebook especially. Um, usually, there's somewhere you can go in and see what data they've got. 
and you can go in and um, you know and actually scrub that um, that history. So uh, they might have years worth of data about you, and you can go in and uh, and and tell them to get rid of it. So uh, yeah, it's very educational to go and actually uh, look these things up and find out what they have. When I looked at Facebook, it told me it had uh, there was a sharing between Facebook and the varying apps and websites I visited added up to over 2,000 different apps and websites. Uh, so, you know, an incredible level of data sharing. So dialing those things back is good and, uh, and clearing out the data that they hold on you is, uh, is probably helpful as well. That's Paul Spain from Gorilla Technology reminding us, of course, that the first people who have to be responsible are you and I, the user. We are the ones who have to decide which places we will visit. If we do dance with the devil, we might get burnt, that's for sure. And we need to teach our kids that things online are incredibly addictive and the people behind these websites do not necessarily have our best interests at heart. In fact, as soon as money enters into the equation, of course, we realize that people will do almost anything anything to earn a buck and if that means destroying you and I it seems that the website has no compunction about not doing that it'll just take it all well as of course the adage was when it came to gambling the house always wins for you and I of course the job is to make sure that it doesn't win our house we're going to have to be careful. Thank goodness, as Paul said, you can opt out of giving them access to all that data. But that is easier said than done. And many of us had inadvertently already clicked that terms and condition button and they're already gathering data on us. How will they use it? Well, we can see uh, in one sense just to advertise very directly to us but it might be that they want to exploit us so that we end up being drawn into worlds that we've never been to before, have had no interest in, except that the computer has worked out that you and I might be vulnerable. So let's be smart and let's consider saying no to them gathering all that data on you and I. And now for the most ironic thing I'm going to say all day, would you sign up for this podcast? We only want your email address. That's it. If you hit subscribe at activeintelligence.nz, I promise you that's all we're going to do with that data is send you the podcast every week. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's broadcast. We'll catch you next time on Active Intelligence.